0: In this episode, we welcome Regina Harris-Biocki to the podcast. Regina is an author, poet, and educator. Her music has been performed by symphonies and musical organizations across the U.S. and around the world. Her poetry and prose have appeared in prestigious journals. She is the author of multiple books, fiction and nonfiction, poetry, prose, and for the stage. Thank you, Regina, for taking a few moments out of your busy schedule to join the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. You are both an accomplished composer and a writer. How are composing music and writing words the same and how are they different?
1: Mm. How are they the same and how are they different? Well, it's interesting that you asked that question because when I was thinking about doing this podcast today, one of the things that came to mind is that I love writing music because I love the sight and sound of words coming together uh, to fill uh, what I call a poetry vessel. And I also like the idea of notes and music coming together so that I can fill a music vessel. So they're similar in that sense, you know, that I'm putting two entities together and creating, you know, something called music, something called poetry. So I hope that answers your question.
0: Yeah, the idea of of filling up a vessel, I think, is a great, great image. So when you decide on the form and arrangement of a piece of music or structure of a poem, does that happen in the beginning or emerge as you start playing with sounds and words? You know, it
1: depends. I'm working on a couple of projects now. Some of them are easier than others in the sense that for instance, I'm working on some vocal music uh, where I was asked by a singer to set a poem to music. And I really resonate with the poem. And there are times when I'm you know, very fortunate that I do resonate with the poetry because it kind of sets itself. I mean, I have an idea of what it sounds like in terms of when it's spoken. And so I also hear musical versions of poetry. And then there are other times when I don't necessarily resonate with the poetry where I really have to work at it. Uh, And so that's when uh, my compositional uh, uh, learning steps in. So I know the elements for writing a good song. I know the elements for writing a good composition. So I try to start with a gesture that will hook people or will uh, pique their interest and take them from there. And, you know, on the other hand, uh, sometimes I don't write introductions until I'm done with the with the piece. So
0: <laughs> you can
1: take everything I said and throw out the window.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, talking about your music, which I was listening to as a backdrop while researching your work and authoring these questions, uh, your music seems to have threads of jazz, blues, modern classical, and other forms. I'm not really sure how to describe or classify your music, other than what you create is just so lovely. How do you describe your music?
1: I try not to. It'd be interesting. If you tell me what you were listening to, I can probably tell you how I would describe that particular piece. But I like to dip in as many wells as I possibly can. Uh, there are times when I like to you know drink sweet water. There are times when I like to drink you know less sweet water. And so uh, you know sometimes, like for instance, I was uh, setting an E Cummings poem once. And I used a mixture of uh, jazz harmonies for one poet poem, and then another poem is definitely uh, would be considered classical or concert music. But I, I just felt that the E, e. Cummings poetry uh, begged to, to be that way. And so I, I felt as a composer, it was my duty not to let it down
0: well i think for for those listening what i did is i actually went to your youtube channel and just started listening to everything in a playlist and oh, it okay. just took me through this diverse set of ideas and images and performers and uh, solo pieces and pieces for group musicians and i just thought it was i was thinking boy how would i classify this i said i don't know what really it Can other than it's lovely so i, I really enjoyed it
1: oh bless you well, you know, uh, Duke Ellington said, you know, once he made a statement about music being beyond category. And I think that's, for me personally, that's that's high praise. I, I don't want to be pigeonholed. I have, you know, studied, uh, you know, all different genres of music. So I'd like to think that I can write in different genres and be, be true to those particular uh, groups. Uh, But, you know, I just finished writing a piece uh, for a a, a project called uh, Songs About Buildings. And they asked me to write about a church here in Chicago in Bronzeville. And it was so they wanted church music. But, uh, you know, I used a lot of jazz chords and jazz and gospel are very similar in that blues is at the foundation of both. And so generally, when you differentiate between those two, it has to do with the voices of the chord. In other words, what kind of uh, order are the notes in? You know, which, which note is, is given importance over another? Which chord is given importance over another? And, uh, you know, jazz people will see the jazz in that piece. The gospel people will definitely see the gospel in there. And it's all about interpretation.
0: Very cool. Very cool. I Well, I had the thrill of recording a haiku for your upcoming and hopefully in-person haiku festival planned for this fall in Chicago. Uh, I was part of a group of amazing poets from around the world and around the country. Tell me uh, what attracted you to the haiku form and give me a little bit more background for listeners about the upcoming festival.
1: Okay, haiku festival. Um, well, I was taught haiku from the time I was maybe about six or seven years old in elementary school. I went to the oldest black Catholic school here in Chicago, and the nuns were really, really fabulous. I didn't know until I got out in the world how fabulous they were. I thought everybody was learning black history. I thought everybody was learning poetry and music. And you know, it was one of those things, it was not on the books. I mean, when you register your kid, you got the three R's, reading, writing, arithmetic, and of course, religion being the fourth R because it was a Catholic school. But uh, these nuns uh, had a mission, and their mission was to educate Native American and African American kids. And so they went out of their way to teach us about our culture. Uh, And so I always learned the poetry of Langston Hughes. I learned the poetry of Gwendolyn Brooks. Uh, When I discovered that she lived here in the city of Chicago, I wrote her a letter, and she did a very dangerous thing. She wrote me back. And so we became pen pals. So here I was, seven years old, you know, writing letters to go into the Brooks and wow. sending her my poems. And she was, of course, very gracious. When I look back on them now, they're just god awful, horrible poems. But my mother loved them, and Miss Brooks loved them, and that was good enough for me. And uh, so these nuns taught us haiku because it's one of the things that people often teach kids because they're short, and, you know, they match their attention spans and that kind of thing. Uh, Gwendolyn Brooks had a poetry competition at the Museum of Science and Industry. Once a year, she would invite kids to read their poems. She would judge them on the spot and hand out cash awards. She opened her pocketbook and gave kids money. And I was there at that competition, and when she died, I didn't see anyone filling that void. And I talked to her daughter and I talked to her spiritual son, Haki Marabuti, who's a a poet here in Chicago, and neither of them were interested, and I thought, you know, I was just so grateful that she did this for me, so I started Haiku Festival, I founded it in 2004, and uh, it's, you know, we're in our 17th year, but I like Haiku because it is brief, I like uh, writing short music, I like writing short poetry, I've written long forms also, but I like small things, I like you know i just like people to not to feel like they're being held uh hostage when when they're looking at new art
0: <laughs> <laughs> that's a great way to describe it um i love tapas too <laughs> <laughs> well you've been uh i've been writing for a while but it's only in the last year that i took the leap of faith to kind of get out of the writing closet and publish and share beyond friends and family Uh, What do you have for advice you have for writers like me who have written for years, but have only just started sharing their voice uh, publicly?
1: Mm. You know, I think you're probably at a more exciting juncture in your life as a poet than I am. And you could probably advise me sometimes (laughs) when you've been doing things as long as I have, you know, um, I've been writing poetry over 50 years. I can't even believe I, I can sit here and say that it, um, I, you know, I get bored very easily, mm-hmm. uh, and so I like to try to, you know, do as many new things as I can. Uh, one of the things that that I like doing is interacting with other poets. I think that's the most important thing because writing, whether it's music or poetry, for me, I need large blocks of uninterrupted time alone. And so, when you're always writing and living in your head. You need someone else to tell you, oh, hey, that's not really all that wonderful. (laughs) It sounds good in your head, but, or you need someone to say, hey, don't be so hard on yourself. That's really great. I mean, that's really fabulous. Um, I know for me, whenever I finish writing a piece, there are a few, a handful of people, I'll call them and say, could you listen to this? Have you heard this before? Because my greatest nightmare is that I finished my masterpiece and it sounds like Beethoven's fifth or it sounds like, you know, Quincy Jones's latest hit or whatever. <laughs> so I think interacting with people is really important. Uh, it's difficult for me to do because people don't believe me when I say this but I'm very shy I'm a very ingrown person so I don't necessarily like um, I don't feel comfortable sometimes showing my work to people but I know how important that is I think that is probably the most important thing not to live in your head so much
0: well I definitely now, uh, I definitely found after decades of writing poetry and sharing to friends and family and not really seeking out um, in an organized way feedback how you can create good and sometimes great poetry by yourself, but you could only consistently create great poetry when you have feedback and critique from other poets.
1: Oh, yeah. Now I know why my mother, when I was younger, you know, forced me to go outside, even though I always sneaked a book out, you know, or sneaked out a pen or a piece (laughs) of paper, but just being out with other people, and writing in different places. I know a lot of people say write, you know, at the same time every day and do this and that. And, you know, sometimes that works for people, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, one of my greatest uh, people that I really admire most, Walter Mosley, uh, said he writes wherever he feels like, whenever he feels like. He doesn't try to force himself to block out a certain amount of time. And he wrote a beautiful book called This Year You'll Write Your Novel. And it's it's a good thing for anyone to read who wants. Who any any person who is interested in writing a book, a book of poetry, a book of fiction. It's just one of those things where he really lets you know that it's not so out of reach. Um, but anyway.
0: Terrific. I hope that answers your question. Absolutely. So you brought a couple poems to read. So why don't you I'm gonna hand the mic over to you. Why don't you read both and then I've got a question or two to about the what you wrote.
1: Okay, the first poem I'd like to read is called Beatitudes. And I wrote this uh, during the pandemic. Beatitudes, blessed are the dead for they don't have to make toilet paper runs, count haiku syllables or bury their survivors. Blessed are the lonely for their secrets are not detected. Their zits can be popped or left to fester on day to night. Blessed are the failures for successes fleeting. Attempts are countless, and boats that set sail are castles without skies. Cursed are the blessed who cannot see that all is a gift, and that's Beatitudes. Um, The haiku I'd like to read two times, and it's untitled. Sliver of sunset, parked between two smiling clouds, cricket discussion. Sliver of sunset, parked between two smiling clouds, cricket discussion
0: wonderful and I, I love uh, from the from that um, rehearsal the recording we did reading the haikus twice I thought was uh, as a really good strategy I'm going to use that when I when I have a chance to read haiku uh, and open mics okay. and other opportunities um, so a uh, question let's start with the haiku the two words cricket discussion to me seem like a perfect example of what makes a haiku so cool and tricky to author do you uh, approach haiku as a puzzle to unravel constrained by the form? Or do you start with a phrase like cricket discussion and then wrap a haiku around it and say, ooh, that could become a haiku?
1: Hmm. You know, of late, I've been writing less and less 575 poetry. Um, I use 575 a lot when I'm teaching just because it makes it easier for me to evaluate and to talk to kids about it. And structure has its place when you're learning poetry, but I always remind kids that five seven five is is not, uh, you know, it's not a law. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of haiku police out there. I can't stand most of them, and when they're around me, I let them know that I can't stand them. <laughs> and I point out to to young poets that um, when you look at a haiku in other languages like Japanese, especially it doesn't always break into to five, seven, five. And so I try to, I give them a formula and hopefully you will be able to remember the formula having said that. So the first line is about creating an image. And the second line is about creating or describing an action. And then the last line is where you have your irony or your turn or a different unexpected um, phrase or whatever. Mm-hmm. So this kind of follows my my rule of, you know, the first line, a sliver of sunset creates an image, conjures an image, you know, in your mind. Uh, there's an action there parked between two smiling clouds insinuating that the sun has, was moving and now it's, you know, stagnant or it appears to have stopped. And then the irony, the crit, uh. Cr- Cricket discussion. You no, know, I was thinking about that last night, and I wanted to change the line. And I thought, you know, haiku, like well, any poetry, period. If you are not careful, you will you will be editing one poem for the rest of your life. <laughs> yeah, control-
0: <laughs> exactly. Yes.
1: <laughs> and then I thought, you know, just let it be. Uh, I've written several versions of different poems before. Because uh, years ago, I wrote a poem about the ecology, about an oil slick. Uh, you know, so horrible that the, the waves coming into uh, the, the um, ocean grew too tired to come in, uh, you know, to go back. Once they landed, they grew too tired to roll back out. And I've written that poem, rewritten that poem probably 10 times over the past 20 years. Just, so I, I have to be careful.
0: <laughs> I can totally relate to that. That's one thing about publishing a book, at least it, at least one version of it is pretty much locked in until the book gets reissued. So. Mm-hmm. Um, just a uh, couple more questions, and then uh, I'll let you get on with your what I know will surely be a very busy afternoon. So, beatitudes—you have this "Blessed are the," and it so so wonderfully sets up the dead, lonely, failures triad. You know, take me he- through how this poem evolved. Uh, you know, where and, this, and the sense of where it was in its raw form, and, and how you revised and edited to its final or current form. Well,
1: you know, just being in this pandemic, uh, I know for me, this has probably been one of the best times of my life as a writer. Uh, I've met people from all over the world who have contacted me uh, for music, mostly some for poetry. And I never would have gotten the opportunity to meet any of those people had we not had this pandemic. Uh, You know, some uh, Performers, especially, um, you know, I, I was—I heard the phrase once, and I often repeat it. You know, we introverts have to check on the extroverts because they're having a really hard time with this. You know, I'm used to being at home all the time. I'm used to writing, you know, away from others. But people who are extroverted—I got an email from a guy who's in a major symphony orchestra you know, he's at the top of his game. And it was just one of the saddest emails. He was like, I really need to play some new music. I I need to know, I need to be reminded that I am a professional musician. I haven't had a gig in so long. And so what, I'm, you know, the principal, you know, I won't name his instrument, but I'm a principal uh, uh, player in a major symphony orchestra. I haven't done that in so long. That seems so far removed from my life. And so I just thought, you know, somebody like him is probably really happy that, uh, you know, if he has a dead person in his life, that they don't have to deal with this anymore. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like I've had musician friends who died and, and it's like, well, they don't have to worry about, you know, trying to get gigs anymore. They don't have to worry about trying to, you know, keep their ratings up so their record company won't drop them. So I just started thinking about, all of the things that we think are so horrible that could be really good things starting with this pandemic. <laughs> yeah. And so that's kind of how it, how it evolved. And then the whole Beatitudes thing in the Bible, I think it's called the Sermon on the Mount where uh, Jesus says, uh, blessed are the poor, spirit for theirs is a the kingdom of heaven or whatever he says. It's kind of modeled after that.
0: I want to thank you, Regina, for taking a few minutes to join the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast. And for listeners, I'll put lots of links in the show notes on how you can follow Regina's works. Thank you very much.
1: Well, thank you, James. And thank you for letting me read your book. That was a joy and a privilege.
0: Oh, and a privilege to have as a first time author to have some of your experience read it. So thank you right back. Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast is written and produced by James Moorhead. You can follow me on Twitter at Dublin Ranch. Subscribe to the Viewless Wings Poetry Podcast and follow us on viewlesswings.com or on Instagram at viewlesswings.